Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 21. Today we have a follow-up episode with Nikhil Shah from SGRE Capital, whose business model is purely focused on buy, value-add, and sell commercial retail properties in the Houston and Dallas areas. We want to bring him back to give us an update on how the retail sector is holding up relative to other real estate asset classes, as well as get his future outlook on where the opportunities might be post-pandemic. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Nikhil Shah. Hi Nikhil, Uh, welcome back to the podcast, how are you? Good, how are you? Great. Uh, thank you so much for, um, you know, catching up, catching up again. You know, we ha- we talked about a month ago. So, uh, you know, things last time we talked a lot changed and uh, we just want to get some uh, news perspective from you and update how the retail sector is doing. Um, so just for people who, you know, didn't listen to the last episode, uh, give us a quick five minute background on uh, who you are and what SGRE Capital does. Sure. Um, uh, again, my name is Nikhil Shah, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, I own a company called SGRE Capital. We develop uh, neighborhood centers from the ground up, and we also acquire neighborhood centers that are owned by uh, uh, institutions and, and no longer go to them, and we turn them around, and then we sell it. Uh, our strategy has been to buy it, fill it, and sell it, uh, or build it, build it, fill it, and sell it in Houston and Dallas. Oh, perfect. So um, I know uh, I received a newsletter from you guys uh, a couple of days ago. That was fantastic. Just uh, giving, uh, you know, people in the community an update on, you know, what things, how things have changed in the retail space. Uh, can you just give a quick recap, on, you know, what what the message is in that newsletter, uh, what you're trying to communicate, you know, what pre-market, you know, some of the things you've seen the froth in the market pre-COVID and, you know, what has that really done, uh, and pandemic really done to the retail sector and uh, to different uh, asset classes. Like you mentioned a couple other, other asset classes too, how it impacted them. And, um, you know, just talk about what how things have changed. Sure. I mean, let, let me just kind of go back to like January, February of this year. Um, look, 2019 was a very big uh, year for the people who were selling assets uh, or who have been long-term holders of these assets because they've appreciated uh, considerably, but primarily because uh, money was cheap and abundant. And so investors who could uh, make only, you know, a quarter point in savings rate were trying to buy uh, asset uh, cash flow yielding assets um, uh, in the U.S. Anything from multifamily to industrial to retail, uh, you name it, uh, was a hot commodity. It's almost people are kind of falling over themselves to buy stuff and they're just paying ridiculous pricing. Um, and that was the good old days in January, February. And uh, and our challenge was that, hey, to find good assets, you have to make sure you don't overpay because a crisis can happen anytime. And you want to be able to sustain your cash flow and you should be able to hold on to your assets. And if you personally guarantee those loans, uh, that can cause uh, a big, uh, I mean, that's how people go bankrupt very fast in real estate. So it's, um, uh, we have been very prudent in selecting assets, but that was, I mean, our challenge was then we don't have enough activity. We are not doing enough deals just because uh, there's too much froth in the market. And, uh, 
froth meaning is just that people were paying four caps and five caps for really class C and D multifamily assets. And, and the thesis was, look, if a recession hits, it's going to be full anyway because people have to stay there. Uh, and that's a good logical argument. The other part was uh, during a recession, uh, the guys who lose jobs first are usually the blue collar guys in the manufacturing jobs. And, and that's where most of the tenancy is. They may not be able to pay. So your percentage of bad debt kind of goes up. So um, we were expecting a 2008 type of uh, recession or not, not 2008 as intense, but you know, a recession anyway, because it was 11 or 12 years into the cycle. Um, but we were positioning ourselves, but nobody expected anything like COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what has happened since March is uh, a train that was running at 100 miles an hour or 200 miles an hour is essentially come to a full stop. It's not like, uh, you know, it's slowing down, gradual stop. It's literally just stopped. They're like, there's no track. And uh, so uh, in a nutshell, I would say, along with the lockdown uh, that we have physical in, in our houses, the debt market, the financial markets uh, in real estate is completely stopped and frozen. Uh, there's no lending happening on any deals, uh, except for the ones that were already under contract uh, in, in February and March. Yeah. Is that, is that just because um, the, the banks and the lenders are not comfortable giving you a uh quote at all or is that just a function of there's people people just afraid to wait in on these kind of assets um, well the thing is uh, you have to look at the what's happening in the bond markets and uh and the credit markets because all these banks and the guys who are lending you money they basically uh give you the loan and then they sell the loan back to other guys other players in the industry right the values of those bonds have gone down tremendously and during on March 23rd, uh, values of triple B minus bonds had kind of gone down to, uh, you know, uh, or shot up to like 11% yield. Mm. So if I'm an investor and say, hey, I can buy a basket of uh, high yield bonds at 11% and not do any work, why should I want to buy a class C and a D asset for uh, four or five cap, right? So, uh, and, and, uh, all that repricing happened in the bond market. Mm. And then the REITs that own all these assets, their valuation, the stock prices collapsed. So compared to the assets, the stock value has fallen, you know, 30%, 40% in some okay. cases. So now why would I want to hold on to the asset and say, hey, bank was willing to lend you based on a certain appraised value. That appraised value is now going to be questionable. Right, right. And that's why nobody can uh, make an assessment. Right. I guess just like a single family house, when it starts, when, you know, when something valued at $10 million, uh, now it's gone down to like $5 million and you still have debt of, you know, $8 million, you're kind of under the water, upside down on the debt. Uh, I guess banks and investors are, you know, marking down their debt values. And so they're reluctant to lend any more new money out there. Is that kind of... Um, Yes, that's me. It's not immediately marked to market, but they expect that. Hey, I can't keep the same value. Yeah. Uh, And so, uh, uh, and usually the front guys in the banks, they're all relationship guys. They are all sales guys. So they'll say, "Hey, we are open for business. We'll give you a quote." But that's essentially uh, not true because during a crisis, the portfolio managers and the credit guys really take uh, center stage. 
and say, hey, look, I'm losing a lot of money in the oil and gas segment, for example, we have made a lot of loans mm -hmm. and I don't want to add that to my real estate at yeah. the moment. So just kind of stop the bleeding. So therefore everything stops. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it is, um, I know, I mean, nationally, you know, a lot of, uh, just in, coming back to commercial retail, a lot of big box retailers are, you know, reporting they're in trouble, whether it's JCPenney's and Kohl's and Macy's. Um, is that what we're kind of seeing in the Texas market too? Is Texas market more resilient uh, because we are kind of more diversified, um, you know, in, whether it's restaurants and shops and stuff like that, or, uh, you know, we're kind of seeing similar trends across the country. I think Texas is sort of in a worse condition because we not only got hit by COVID, but we also got hit by the collapse of the oil uh, and gas market. And uh, unlike Dallas, to an extent, uh, Houston is still very dependent on oil and gas. And and so uh, when stock prices collapse by, you know, 50 to 80 percent, for example, um, that's where the bonuses are paid from. That's where the uh, real wealth creation is for employees. And, uh, you know, you lose all that. And then um, you're going to lose the jobs. So therefore, the consumer spending on restaurants and housing, all that kind of collapses. And there, therefore, I think we got two earthquakes, not one. Mm. And, and that's a challenge. So we are sort of in a negative uh, position. And general retail, the big box stuff, they, we know that, hey, they were suffering just because of the advent of the internet and, and uh, everybody moving to online. JCPenney was on its last leg for a long time. Um, but now this is like, hey, someone's on a deathbed, it's kind of now kind of pulled the plug anyway on many of these big guys. People are not shopping there. Right. Yeah, no, speaking of oil, it's really uh, one, two blow for, for the Houston market. Um, you know, I think our office market was down um, already. I think it was at even 20% vacancy even before the COVID. So now it's, you know, after we come back, I think the new tech technology, people on doing, you know, remote work from home, people get more comfortable with that. Uh, how do you see that impacting? I mean, the do you think office is going to be one of the hard, hardest hit markets um, even post COVID with, uh, you know, people change the way they're working? At, at the moment, yes. Um, uh, the thing is, the national trend has been uh, like uh, uh, square feet per employee. That metric has been going down drastically. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the coastal states, you know, they, they're used to uh, remote working, especially in the tech segment and, and advanced segments. Our oil and gas segments, even part of medical stuff, we are sort of on the back end of technology where we, you know, everything kind of comes late. So now people are being forced to use technology and therefore real estate becomes less important. So I think that's one of the trends going to hurt office. Uh, but uh, more importantly is we were already vacant, right? 20% is the published one. Unpublished is probably anywhere around 35 to 40% vacancy and no room for, uh, you know, rent growth. We just say, hey, anybody who with a, uh, you know, a heartbeat can take. So that's going to hurt a lot. Uh, because a lot of companies going bankrupt, first thing they do is break the leases too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, maybe the collection won't be affected right away for existing tenants. You know, I think office space tenants usually usually have better credits. Like April, maybe April, May, and June are probably okay for existing tenants. But yeah, I mean, any lease up would be very hard at this point. Um, 
you know, I think that's where maybe uh, retail, maybe it's the opposite problem. It's, you know, where you can't, the current tenants who are not running the restaurants and nail salons, they can't pay the April and May, but when they kind of do come back, you know, I think they're probably a little bit more uh, easier to fill up than the office spaces. Um, yes. Yeah, so office in general, uh, like, a, look, if you have a big company like Exxon or someone, those leases are very solid. But if you have small, medium sized companies, they're all essentially as good as, you know, mom and pop tenants. And that's what usually fills the spaces anyway. Mm. And so now those are questionable. Uh, the second thing is if you want to sell the office asset, now you have lost a lot of value just because there's a negative perception. So uh, it's, it's going to be troubling. On retail side of things, you have to look at it two ways, George. One is, uh, yeah, the nail salons are not working. Some of the restaurants uh, are not working. Uh, but as soon as things open up, the first thing people are going to go is go get a haircut and get their nails done. Right. Uh, your dentists uh, are going to be open. Your orthodontists are going to be open. And if and when things get better, children are going to go into activities because I'm, I'm guaranteeing you parents are sick and tired of taking care of young kids, right? right. You need to keep them occupied. So all those uses will come back. But you just kind of have to say, hey, for six months, they are essentially dead at the moment. Um, but a lot of big restaurants are going to be in trouble because you don't need that much real estate um, and people are delivering more. Uh, but I think we are also social creatures. Once everything is back to normal, people will come back to restaurants in full force because that's their lifestyle. And in Houston, we typically eat out 6.7 times out of seven days. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a national right. statistic from National Restaurant Association. So we can't change our culture. You know, it's good to eat at home a little bit, but it's not going to be permanent. So, but it will hurt us within the next six months to a year. Mm -hmm. So if you're financially strong, a restauranter would be okay. If not, then it's a problem. Okay. And, uh, and you mentioned in your newsletter that, you know, I think the overall maybe nationwide collection for retail uh, space is at 30, 40% right now um, across, across the board. Are some retail centers doing better than others from what we've seen? Um, maybe some, is it, is it just the pharmacies and grocery stores that are paying um, or? Yeah, I mean, so uh, nationally, I mean, of course, the big players, the grocery stores and stuff, they're all doing fairly well, mm -hmm. um, uh, as you know. Uh, but a lot of national brands, big boxes, right, uh, including like the Best Buys and, and some of the major names, they have staying power. Mm -hmm. So they will go and tell the landlord, like, we are closed, we can't do anything, so we just won't pay. And you've seen it in, in the news that Subway declined. They have leverage. Yeah. But that's okay. You know, two months or three months or six or four months, they won't pay. And and uh, uh, those assets are not going to trade, right? Nobody's yeah. going to buy it until all that stuff is happening. But a lot of um, small, uh, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, retail stores which had a JC Penny, which had a Stein Mart, which had a Payless, uh, not Payless, but um, uh, sorry, I forget the name, but. A lot of usual culprits that are on their last knees, those assets are going to be in trouble. Uh, the other ones are on the small neighborhood shopping center where there are a lot of restaurants in that space, they're going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, that's that's what we worry about. Right. And I know the federal government is trying to help. You know, they have a couple of programs rolled out, you know, the EID alone and the, and the primarily the PPP, which the protect payroll, payroll protection program or something like that. They're trying to right. try to stimulate the economy, trying to get people back into working again. Um, 
Do you think that's helping the restaurants and nail salons? Is that rolling down to them to get them to, you know, say, if they tell a landlord, say, hey, we can't pay you for two or three months, but, you know, but they do have some money coming in. Is that, do you think that's filtering down to helping the restaurant to help them survive these tough periods? I, I, I hope uh, if everything works out correctly, it's, look, the minute they announced it and within the next three days, if they paid it, and if you're fortunate enough to kind of receive it, then you have some staying power to tell your team that, hey, I'm not going to fire you guys. You chefs, you know, the wait staff, everybody just kind of keep the payroll on. But you have zero uh, revenue, right? So you have to manage your costs. And then, uh, so it's a double whammy. And so if you don't have, and the government is taking a long time to get the checks too. Yeah. Yeah. So until then you're coming out of pocket. Um, so they're working with the landlords and if the landlords can get a break for two, three months is fine. But the landlord themselves have to go to the bank and say, hey, give us a break for two, three months too. Yeah. And so if that's what happens, then everybody kind of gets some leeway. The problem is after two months, if there's no business, you have to let people go. That's that's an unfortunate scenario. That's what people are doing. I and mean, that's a very tough situation if you're a small business owner. You know, if you do get a check for, you know, 10 grand, 20 grand or whatever, you know, how, how do you allocate that capital? What do you pay first? Um, you know. Right. So many expenses uh, there with not, nothing coming in, it's uh, hard to decide. So, uh, so you know, knowing that there's limited capital for from the for them to pay the landlord, um, how does uh, the landlord go talk to the banks or the creditors in this situation? Have you had that, any of that conversation yet to say, hey? So uh, uh, we are I mean, we are fortunate. We sold uh, uh, most of our portfolio last year, fifty percent of our portfolio last year. Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't have a lot of mom and pop tenants. Um, we have tenants that are national uh, and, and they're not uh, a restaurant uh, type tenants that are dependent on consumers. So we are, we are lucky in that sense. So mostly medical paint stores like a strong Sherwin Williams type of tenant, mm -hmm. um, big medical hospital chains like Baylor Medical. And, and those are all doing fairly well. So touch wood, we are, uh, we are in uh, good shape at the moment. Wow, you guys are lucky. Uh, very lucky, but our portfolio is also small, so that's okay. Uh, um, but we can. We spoke to our bank, and they said, "Hey, we'll give you a sixty month, sixty day, or ninety day uh, reprieve. Basically, you don't have to pay the debt for three months, and we'll just add it to the back of the loan." Okay. So that's what they're offering to a lot of customers. Yeah. And so, if they have a good relationship with their bank, they get three months break. Two yeah. to three months. Yeah, I heard good things and bad things about taking a forbearance package. I mean, I guess more on the multifamily side. If you take the forbearance, then you know you can't do eviction for 120 days, or you, know, you got to pay it back on the four after three or four months, which is also a can creates a cash flow problem. Um, I guess on the on the retail financing side, you're not dealing with the Fannies and the Freddies on the agency side, so you guys don't really have that kind of constraints um, on the eviction side, right? Um, just right, but uh, it, it look everything is frozen. You can kick them out, or the tenants will say, "I'm not even coming." So it's right. uh, it's not a win-win for anybody. At this time, I think if you're a strong landlord, I think it's best to keep your tenants and just kind of make it work, uh, because I think uh, during a crisis is where relationships are really formed and people will come back. Right, uh, 
but it's not easy as hey you know paying rent I'll kick you out and get somebody else it's it's not that easy yeah no for sure just like any uh in multifamily or single family side too i think communication is so key if somebody willing to work with you and say hey you know i'm out of a job i can't pay or i can't open for a couple months but you know when i come back i'm going to work with you uh, that's really important rather than if it's really you know it's a bad actor you know who regularly don't pay or just to refuse to communicate then you can do something different but you know i i think you're right if if they they don't want to work with you they're openly constantly letting you know give me updates and uh that's something you want to keep so uh on the on the investor side what are you doing with on on your investor side just keep communicating with them and you have zoom calls or meetings or newsletters how how are you keeping them up to date on the on the portfolio we provide uh uh mon- uh sorry a quarterly uh update uh, via emails uh i think we have uh, enough uh people that we don't go zoom calls but we kind of make individual calls or they'll reach out to us we are open to us uh and it's uh but we kind of keep them abreast of what's going on everybody knows exactly what uh, our asset is uh, what our financials are yeah. and just kind of keep them uh um uh, aware that look their investment is safe uh it's it's uh, fortified we may not get the gigantic returns that we got in the past but we are going to get a positive result when we sell it mm-hmm. um And that's that's all you have to do and, and be honest and transparent yeah no that's that's okay so i mean i think that's a, now's not the time to kind of shut your doors and stop sending stop calling people i mean you know that's kind of what you must want to see even in tough times you know you're still calling them you're still emailing them letting, letting them know what's going on um right you know you, more than if you know now's probably time to increase your you know level of communication not not decrease that you know make it more right so That's a really good point. Um, so just kind of wrapping up, um, are you are you telling are you giving any like advice or helpful hints to your tenants on how they can? I guess they they really know their business, but just on the PPP and the government stimulus side, um, are do you see most of your tenants applying for that? Are they, are they successful? Do they tell you keeping up to date on that? We had only we have only one tenant uh, who is not uh, a major corporate, uh, and but they are very big uh, uh, dental specialists. So it's not like uh, they cannot afford to be in business. Uh, but as soon as uh, the help came out, the day it came out, I reached out to the tenant and say, "Hey, listen, you need to apply for this stuff because I know that they will call us and ask us in advance if we can help." So I told them look the government is not helping the landlord but the government is helping you guys so if you can put your name in the system that's what they did so I think they are on top of it and fortunately for us our March April May all 3 months have been current on rent so uh, we just have to be proactive because anything that you can help your tenant with it helps Okay sounds good and just go let's look for a little bit in the in the Houston market What do you what do you see some of the changes coming after you know after this COVID pandemic um, you know is over um, just in terms of whether in the retail side do you see uh, us going to be more spread out? Going people going to want more space uh, in their shopping centers and parking lots? Do you see any trends going forward? No, uh, to be honest, uh, I I think people kind of. Uh, uh, in if you fast forward 5 years it's going to be just like hey have we we remember harvey but we kind of you know you know uh 
that we got affected and we kind of move on. So like every crisis has a certain memory, right? It's not going to change anything. Like I said, if you have a neighborhood shopping center, you will you will have services that are needed to serve the needs of the suburb. So that's not going to be a problem. I think what changes is, I think it kind of just accelerates the bankruptcies of companies that have been kind of staying alive for so long. It yeah. just doesn't serve a lot of purpose in the community. Yeah. And you won't see any bailouts for those kind of retail sectors. I mean, it's not like, you know, they're the airlines or the cruise lines or, you know, um, auto industry, you know, that that's probably the government probably let them go uh, as opposed to have a bailout package for, you know, something like Macy's or, or something like that. Um, that, that I think that's actually healthier for the economy to, to let that, you know, things play out. Um, it's really the, up to the consumer, where do they buy, shop from, and now like kind of government dictates uh, what, which company survives, which one doesn't survive. Right. Yeah, but it does have a negative impact on retail landlords, the big guys. Uh, but my, my feeling is that we are such an entrepreneurial society that if not now, but let's say two years from now, there will be another trend and some other occupant will come in and start taking stuff. Yeah. But it's just a critical timeline where we have to figure out, you know, can we survive two years or can we survive three years? Yeah, no, that's absolutely for it. And, and like you said, there'll be opportunities uh, for, for buyers who have dry powder uh, who are sitting on the sideline. How do you think they, they change their underwriting going forward? You know, if you see a strip center that's in distress and they maybe come in the market in three to six months, I mean, how would you, how would you underwrite something like that now versus three to four months ago? So, um, I mean, I think for us, we are not going to fundamentally change anything just because we, we expected a lot of froth anyway. So we now we don't underwrite uh, uh, that at the moment. Um, I think important is what you exit this asset at in the future. Uh, that's going to change. Uh, you, so you should use a higher cap rate. Um, and second thing is you want to make sure that uh, uh, the tenancy that you bring in, your rent assumption uh, is conservative. It's that it should be affordable, not what was in the past mm. and what, uh, you know, how, if you can increase it, but just say, Hey, how much does it cost for a nail salon to stay in business? And that's how you want to charge your rent. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think 2018, 2019, people have been writing in like four or 5% rent increases every year. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to be probably changed, uh, probably flatten out for a longer period of time. You know, it's going to be negative actually for a while. Really? Uh, yeah. So especially in the housing side mm -hmm. and uh, on the retail side where people were paying 30, $35 per square feet plus triple nets, uh, that's very expensive. And I think, you know, you open a new shiny thing in the Heights and the first tenant that comes in nails alone, very happy, excited. They'll sign it blindly that, Hey, I can do 5,000, $6,000 in rent every month. Uh, suddenly then they realize, oh man, I'm paying $65,000 in rent and I'm not making that much. I just made $150,000 of which 65 was rent. Uh, this is not a fit for me. So a lot of these guys who sign leases because of excited Montrose and Heights neighborhoods, I think they're going to see a rent uh, slowdown or, or negative growth, I guess, to kind of stay in business. Yeah. In no, absolutely. So when, I mean, I th even uh, when their opportunity does come up in three to six months, um, just we gotta be really careful uh, and not get back to kind of uh, 
super excited about you know building up run you know increases in your models and building up really low cap rates and, and exits be more conservative i think the investor is going to be more careful uh in underwriting and assessing uh you know any kind of uh, uh if a gp or syndicator comes in want to buy deals scrutinizing numbers a lot more on going right. forward basis versus what they kind of looked at in 2018-2019 right and the banks are going to also now ask for maybe 60 percent loan to value versus 70 75 so uh, it's it's uh, going to be tighter, at least in Houston for a while. Right. Yeah. They may ask for more reserves uh, on the interests uh, and the maintenance. And, um, you know, I think I heard people are there may be opportunity to do long assumptions. If something a deal went bad uh, or they had less equity and if the really long market is frozen and uh, uh, maybe long assumptions of the deal, uh, maybe an alternative if you can't get a new loan. Um, yeah, that, that's fine if the seller really wants to get out, right? Yeah. Uh, but and, and take off the equity. And so why would I want to pay his equity and assume a loan than this? So it's all questionable, right? And and you just wait for those guys to die slowly. And therefore, if you can buy it as a bank. No. Uh, but that's, that's a challenge. It's a waiting game. Like next 90 days is going to be critical where all the debt is going to be repriced uh, and therefore then people will start getting clarity of what is financeable what is not financeable, and we yep. need these 90 days to kind of uh, get that no absolutely yeah i think you know and with any asset right now i, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next uh, 30 to 30 90 days so um uh, a lot of people are just kind of waiting in c mode like you said that's why i kind of you have a big discrepancy between the valuation between the buyer and the seller um you know they're kind of Want to see how the market rate turns to the economy really come back, or we're going to see a longer, um, like L shaped or U shaped recovery rather than like a V shaped, like you said before. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Thank you so much. I uh, just got a couple of wrap up questions. Hopefully, you are, you would, um, let me ask what, what are you doing personally to kind of uh, stay ahead of the game? You're reading books, you're listening to other uh, podcasts, YouTube to kind of educate and learning more about the market. What do, you, what do you advise people do in this kind of stay at home time? I think that this is the best time to educate yourself about the market. Uh, there are a lot of podcasts being come out, uh, being published by uh, trade associations, webinars. And if you have never signed up for many of them, just sign up for them, sit in. I mean, after two or three, you will already get the story and say it's almost the same thing. Uh, but at least you are in the know of what's going on. And then uh, kind of look at raw data and, and find out, you know, what the valuation difference between the REIT value versus their assets is. So that's the discount that people look for and see if there's any positive sign. And yesterday, finally, we got a good credible, uh, uh, not quote, but saying an insurance company said, hey, we are ready to lend regardless of asset at low rates. Yeah. But here are my rules. Uh, the amount of money that you're going to borrow, your net worth should be at least twice that. If you're going to borrow $5 million, you got to be a net worth of $10 million. And so that means it's essentially saying only very wealthy developers should be able to be in business. Otherwise, there's no that. So that's going to start off, but that's a good sign that someone is willing. Then slowly, slowly, slowly. I think in six months uh, to eight months, once everything kind of stabilizes, 
they're going to go back to the crazy uh, valuation as well because there's no there's zero percent savings and investors want to invest they'll start putting money in the stock market and the uh, in real estate market again by next year yeah yeah the uh yeah the fed and the um you know one of the stimulus that there's printing money i think that's still going to drive the asset prices up back up once um you know the economy come back or even just opening back up that's when people are going to start buying more assets right. uh, with their all their money um and uh what do you what's the one thing you look forward to we talk about going out to eat again is there one thing you look forward to uh that once we open back up that you miss activity you miss doing i'm going to go to my dentist man <laughs> <laughs> i learned to get haircuts at home uh, my wife yeah. is going have to do it but need to go to the dentist just personal services otherwise i don't miss much to be honest right yeah they just cancel my uh, regular maintenance i had an appointment on uh, actually yesterday 429 and uh, they canceled my appointment they said only for emergency only so uh yeah i had to call them back and reschedule uh, <laughs> so yeah all right thanks nikhil for joining us uh how do people get in touch with you if i want to reach you uh, they can email me at nshaw at sgrecapital.com or, or just call me. At, uh, it's on my website, sgrecapital.com. My contact information is there. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Stay right. healthy. Stay safe. Bye. Okay. Thanks, Nikhil. Bye.